What's up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a lot to talk about on today's show. NBA training camp is underway and teams are trying to get set for the regular season, but we've seen quite a bit of distractions coming from several training camps due to the stance of certain NBA players and some stars even on getting the uh, COVID-19 vaccination, so or vaccine rather. So we'll talk about some of the stuff we heard from from what was a wild media day. And if you were kind of following the tea leaves that we saw on the internet, social media, a lot of the NBA writers kept saying, you know, media day is going to be something. And uh, they were pointing to uh, the vaccine stuff, but we didn't know exactly what we were here. But, man, it ended up being quite a, quite, quite a circus. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk some football stuff. Um, man, there was a lot of excitement about these rookie quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Jones, all guys, you know, especially with the, the three of those four guys starting week one. Fields got his first action last week. It's been a rough go for all four of those guys. We'll talk about which teams maybe should be concerned about their situations moving forward. And we got a big, big college football weekend ahead. We have two top 10 matchups. Alabama has a ranked opponent this weekend, a conference ranked opponent. So this is going to be a, a really good show. I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm excited to talk to my buddy Kendall. Kendall, of course, joins me as always. And Kendall, I know we're going to talk about this NBA start of training camp and the media day circus, but um, you pointed me to the uh, NBA officials Twitter account, and this is for the NBA referees, and they've put out a, a, a thread of videos kind of explaining the interpretive chains that they have um, on trying to eliminate the non-basketball moves by offensive players and how these plays will, will be called. Um, there are several very interesting kind of interpretations that we'll be seeing this year. Uh, I like a lot of them. I know they're trying to, you know, of course, the, the shooter launching into the defender. They're trying to get rid of a lot of those plays that are often recalled fouls by the uh, the defensive player. And that's kind of a more basic one. But then there are these other ones, the plays that have kind of been definitely been uh, kind of patterned, uh, patterned by players like James Harden and Trey Young. You know, the, the, the jumping into the defender who's behind you as you shoot a jump shot. You know, that's now going to be an offensive foul. Um the, the, the hooking the arm of the of the of the defender as you pull up for a jump shot where the defender has their arm in their shot pocket. That's often been called a, that's always been called a shooting foul. Now that's gonna be a no call. Um there'll be certain instances where if you really hook the guy, they'll even call that an offensive foul. So th- these are I mean we, we, we heard about some of the things they were gonna do and they, they released some videos over the summer, but I think this was probably the most expansive kind of review of exactly what we should be seeing this year. And, you know, Kendall pointed out to me, and Kendall, I agree with you. I mean, this will definitely change the game way these games will be called and how these players are going to have to play if they are called if they decide to really call the game like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we all, you know, it, it was all it was interesting when, you know, watching the playoffs and, you know, I don't know if it was late into the playoffs or shortly after when we got word that the NBA was looking into changing the rules for next season. Um, after watching guys like Luca and Trey Young and Harden, uh, you know, gain advantages, uh, <laughs> gain a competitive advantage by by knowing how to, I don't want to go as far as say trick the refs, but knowing how to manipulate the the rule book. Mm-hmm. And the NBA wanted to change that, and there were a lot of people that were like, that were there were a lot of people that were, that were either a very happy because they were like get this mess out of the game. There was mm-hmm. another segment of people 
that was that were upset. Probably mostly fans of those three players that were like, you know, you're you're targeting these three guys, and you know, you got to do all this just to stop this player. Blah 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 blah. Change the rule. Blah, blah, blah. And there, and, but I also think there was a lot. There were people that were more so in the middle that were kind of like, I don't know what this means. There was skepticism. There was, is this, is, are, how are they going to enforce this? What do they even mean by any of this? You know, there's a lot of a lot of words, but what does this mean? And now that we have the video of them pointing out these plays that are very common. Again, these yeah. aren't these aren't plays where it's like, yeah, this is never going to happen. Yeah, or this is a very rare occurrence. So yeah, you know, taking this out of the game isn't going to change anything. I mean. These are plays. The plays that they showed are, if you watch the NBA playoffs, plays that happen in almost every game, once or twice a game at least. Yeah, um, in almost every team. And so, and I, I don't think that that's. I think that that was like because I don't think it's it's been like that for years. I think that this is something that guys have recently started to play the game this way because they knew it was a way of manipulating the rule book and, and manipulating the refs, and manipulating the whistle, and the. Again, you, you watch the videos, and it's a lot of stuff that that we see in NBA games, especially at a high level. Um, and you know, Bradley Beal's another guy. They didn't. I don't think they showed in any of those videos, but he uses a lot of those tricks. And Emmanuel quickly from the Knicks uses a lot. Of those yeah, Emmanuel well. quickly uses a lot of those tricks, and I mean, it, it's 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 interesting. Um, I, I I think that the key, the thing that I'm going to be looking for is how do the refs, how how do the refs like train themselves to start making these calls and train their eyes. I guess my only fear, cause I love the, I love the rule changes as a basketball mm-hmm. fan. You have to love taking this stuff out of the game. <laughs> if, unless you're again, unless you're a Trey young, Luka Doncic, you know, James Harden fan. Right. Um, but at the same time, I, the only concern I would have is, is this going to lead to more reviews? Um, because I feel like we're going to get a lot of bad, I don't even say bad calls, but a lot of a lot of questionable calls when it comes to this rule book, and a lot of a lot of people complaining, a lot of players complaining, a lot of coaches complaining, because um, they're not used to these these rules being implemented, and that's going to, you know, look the challenge is the challenge. They implemented that, I think it was a good rule. I think it was a good rule change to allow coaches to challenge, and that'll be fine. But in the last two minutes of the games, hopefully the reviews don't get out of control. Um, but it it'll be interesting to see how do guys like. Like a Luca and a and a Harden and a Trey Young, fair with this. I think those guys will be fine because they're supremely talented basketball players, uh, and their talent it, it doesn't has nothing to do with their ability to get to the. It does have it does have some to do with their ability to get to the free throw line, but their talent. Yeah, it's like their production has something to do with them getting the final line, not their talent. Exactly, that's a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And so their talent isn't going anywhere, and so right. those guys will have to adapt and they will adapt. And again, like you said, the production, we'll, we'll see what that looks like if they don't get to the line as much. But, um, but I, I don't, I honestly am more worried about the other guys, like the guys that aren't, you know, those level of players. And what will we see, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a stats guy, I wonder, are we going to start seeing, you know, a shift in the amount of offensive fouls versus shooting fouls and the amount of free throws yeah. versus offensive fouls, things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, look, I I am 100% for almost all of these adjustments. I think these are all really nice adjustments. Um, I even like the adjustment of, you know, if the player extends their leg out to the side and there's marginal contact. um, Recently, they've been calling that an offensive foul. They're actually going to downgrade that to be just a no call. 
which I think is fantastic, you know, because I think, you know, fair is fair. I think some of these things, I don't, like, to me as a shooter, I don't think that's an offensive foul. I think that sometimes you do have a natural motion to move your leg out in and, in a situation where a guy is coming near you, and, and sometimes I've seen that call offensive foul. I'm like, that's not, I don't think that's an offensive I foul. Like, like he didn't try to I make watched contact. games this season where they, where they reviewed it and just said, actually, no, no, no call. Right. Um, I see, yeah, now, you yeah, you're right. But I, I've seen it where, like, when it doesn't get reviewed, they're just calling it a, a, an offensive foul or or a defensive foul. It's, it's bad both ways to me. Yeah. But that play to me is does not a foul. Like the kick out where you're in front of the guy, and that's different. That that to me can't, is an offensive foul because there's there's no need for that. But um, but but I like a lot of these rules. You know, the only one that kind of make me kind of hesitate. You know, that you know they're very adamant about you know when you pull for a jump shot. Uh, you know, if a guy's coming from behind you, you know, you that can still be a foul if you just run into the guy, no matter how abrupt it is, because the guy has a right to shoot a jump shot, no matter at what point in time. Which fair is fair, I, I get that, and as someone who was a shooter when I played, I I want to be protected at all times. I think the way these guys have manipulated that so much, I just think that they're just taking shots they would never take because they know they're gonna get that call. I I don't know. The problem is how do you. How do you make that judgment call? Yeah, how you how are you, you going to decide, okay, I'm going to call this one, but not this one? You know, so it, it's frustrating, yeah, they, they, but I, I understand that. There's a gray area, and when they use the term abnormal, abnormal angles and stuff like that, there is a gray area that yeah. is up to the interpretation of the ref to decide what is considered an abnormal basketball play but, and what is considered a normal basketball play. But I do like the fact that if you stop and then you go backwards or go sideways, they, you know, they showed a very good play with Stephen Curry. Where oh, yeah. a lot of guys, you know, do that. That's, I mean, that's obviously to me just a ridiculous play and not. A and again, foul. it's and I'm so, glad that that would not be called an offensive foul. Which is yeah, what's is, again, so right stark play. about these rule changes is that, like, like you just mentioned, that used to be a defensive foul. Yeah. And as as a as a as a fan or as a player or as a coach, like you're watching this and you're saying, how is that a foul? Right. Well, now not only is it not a defensive foul, it's also an offensive foul. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. I mean, now that's a turnover for guys trying to do that stuff. And again, will turnover numbers go up for guys like Luca, who already has a high turnover rate? So <laughs> these are these are things that that are that will also continue to be looked at. And yeah. now these guys have to train themselves, and on some level, will take that stuff out of their game. Right. Because yeah. now you're playing with fire. It's like yeah, it's like, like unless you master like it. Yeah, you have you to know, like, like now you're like Giannis trying to bull to the basket. It's like yeah, I mean, you right. may get a dunk, but you also may get a charge. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have to make that. You have to make that call. Or Shaq when he's in the post, you know, like, like, and that's good. Like, that's good for the game. And and to yeah. me, I'll be like, I also think, you know, I I think we overrate just like how much, you know, fans love offense. They do love offense. Let me not get into it. I don't think we should go back to the days of the nineties, um, where you know, I, you know, someone showed a clip on Twitter of like what spacing looked like in two thousand and one. And just like of like, it, I think three of the plays were all the San Antonio Spurs, and then like what it got to like now, and just seeing like where everybody was on the court, like I think one, like I think Avery Johnson was like on the three point line, he wasn't even at the three point line, and everybody else is just like in the mid range area, and then David Robinson's on the block, and how that is spaced out and, and by the years, and now you got the point where it's just like four guys outside the three point line and one, one guy attacking the basket, and just being like, this is what the NBA has turned into. Um, I say that to say that, look, I don't think that necessarily, and I was actually watching, um, I was actually, uh, because I guess I'm a glutton for pain. I was watching, um, the 1994 NBA finals game seven between the Rockets and the Knicks. And I'm watching how they're running their offenses. I'm just like, 
this is like crazy. Like you could run an offense like this in the NBA today. Like I don't know. Like I don't know how you would even score <laughs> because you could just pack the paint. Yeah. The rules were a little different, but still, it just is a very weird way to play given how these teams are playing now. But I say that all just to say that at the end of the day, I don't think we should go back to the days of the '90s where you had NBA Finals games that you know were played out in the '70s and the '80s with you know with the Knicks and the, and the Spurs and things like that. I, I don't. I don't think we need to go back to that per se, but I do feel like, to me, I look at these offensive numbers and I look at them with kind of a skewed eye. I do. You know, some people may say that calls me a hater or an old head or whatever. I'm not saying these guys aren't fantastic players or not great players, but when I'm ranking them amongst the other guys in other areas, knowing that the game was much different and it was a lot harder to score, it, it is kind of, I, I do think that hopefully maybe these rules will kind of give the defender some chance. That's what I watched. When I watched the NBA playoffs this year, and I watched a lot of the NBA season last season, to me it just felt like you had no chance guarding the best guys. You just had no chance. You can't touch them. They could do these crazy things to get fouled onto you. Like, I just felt like it got too skewed. The NBA, look, the guys now, they're more skilled than the guys back then in terms of what they can do in terms of shooting threes and things like that. So I think at some point, like, you can't have all the offensive rules so tilted to the offensive side that the defender just has no chance. Unless you're a marginal player, I just don't think you could really guard the best guys. Unless those guys have an off night. Here, I think at least you got a shot. You know, the guy can't do these non-basketball plays to get you in foul trouble or, 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 or get themselves at free throw line to get themselves going. Maybe when they're having a rough game, they can do some of this stuff to get them back into, you know, playing playing in a much better way, getting themselves back into a rhythm by getting some foul shots. Like, that's just not basketball. And the way I kind of viewed it and the way I kind of watched a lot of these plays is my thing is, look, if any of these plays you called the foul in the park and it would start a fight, it shouldn't be in the NBA. That's how that's how I view it. Is Yeah. Is if, if you, if somebody did one of these things and tried to call a defensive foul in the park, and if it would have started a fight in your park, then it shouldn't be in the NBA. And to me, that's what I see is all these plays that I'm seeing here is that if you did this at a park or at your local 24-hour fitness or something, <laughs> you try to say, yo, that's a defensive foul. I mean, it, it, guys would be squaring up. And and at the end of the day, these folks are the best players in the world. These are the toughest guys in the world. They should. I'm not saying it should be park rules, but it shouldn't be the point where, like, it's so offensive that you would be thrown out of the park or have to square up if you ever tried to do this in a, in a real park game. And, and I think that that's... And I think we're I think we're gonna see great ball. I, I'm really I'm really actually excited for this. I think we're gonna see better defense. I think we're gonna see guys rise to the occasion. I'm not like the one of these guys that think, oh, Trey Young is finished, you know. Um I, I think that we'll actually maybe see him, you know, play better. I think he's gonna have an adjustment. I definitely think he's gonna have an adjustment. But I think we'll see even greater performances and more impressive performances. Because we won't he won't have like fifteen free throws on just nonsense. Like you'll see, damn, this guy, you really can't guard this guy if he's trying to just score on you and he's not trying to just see files so i'm all for the new uh nba uh rules regarding the interpretation of some of these non-basketball plays and i'm hoping that they stick to it i'm hoping that you know sometimes they do these interpretive things they kind of start the year off good and then by the playoff they're not even caring they just go back to how it was um i'm hoping with this they kind of stick through the whole year because this is this is not good for the league and I'm, i'm glad that they they made the right call despite the fact that it's their stars that are taking advantage of it and usually when the stars are taking advantage of it, they won't touch it. I'm glad that they actually said, no, this is not good. Nobody really likes to see this besides the guys who root for these teams or these players. Let's uh, And girls who root for these teams and players. Let's, uh, let's, let's change this. 
But um, let's stay with the NBA, though. Let's talk about training camp, which is underway around the league. And while there is plenty of excitement for the new season, the play on the court took a backseat to the issue surrounding the vaccine at media day. After we learned that key players like Kyrie Irving and Andrew Wiggins will likely not be available to play in their home games due to local laws about vaccinated athletes, there was a great article. Um, what was it? Was it Rolling Stone? I think it was Rolling Stone. Yes. Um, yeah, on on just like the the like the vaccine situation in the NBA. Some really disturbing, uh, uh, you know, quotes by Kyrie Irving's aunt about possibly taking a stand against the rules and. Uh, Calling Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, uh, just I mean, just really some some weird stuff. You know, kind of highlighting Kyrie Irving's uh, you know liking on social media of very conspiratorial things regarding the vaccine and its uh, its attempts to its links to Satan and just very bizarre stuff and how this was going to be a problem for the NBA and and it was a great preview of John what we and Isaac in that article. Also. Yeah, Isaac Isaac's in that article. He's talking about he's watched he was watching uh, videos of Trump and Black History to come up with his idea that the vaccine was not <laughs> to take, which I'm just yeah. like Trump and black history. I, I wonder how, uh, how that went. So needless to say, this was a, a, a really great article. And I think even despite all the stuff we've now learned on the record, I think you should still read it. Cause it is pretty wild. Um, but yeah, we, we, we've learned that Irving and, and Wiggins were not vaccinated. And because they play in cities where according to local laws, uh, you can't be in indoor entertainment of venues and be unvaccinated these guys can't play in their home games um both those guys end up taking the mic this week to address the issue irving who was not at nets media day held his availability via uh instagram live and told the press that while he was quote not putting limitations on the season declined to explain his rationale for not taking the vaccine or talk about the likelihood of if he would ever suit up for the nets at barclays while also asking reporters to, or really demanding reporters to respect his privacy when they try to get some information on, on what exactly is going on with his situation. Wiggins, along with uh, Wizards star Bradley Beal and the Magic's Jonathan Isaac, as Kendall just mentioned, parroted vaccine misinformation in their defense of not getting the vaccine as well. Wiggins said he planned to, quote, fight for what he believes in, while declined to actually say what exactly he believes in. Um, Beal uh, uh, talked about, you know, people who get COVID can still get excuse me, people who still get the vaccine can still get COVID and talk about people with bad reactions who can't use their right arm and things like that. Again, kind of nonsense. Uh, Isaac was probably the most measured and open amongst the group in his response about why he did not get the vaccine. Uh, But he also spoke falsehoods, uh, stating that, you know, because he had, quote, natural immunity from getting uh, COVID from a previous time and that he was a young person, that therefore he didn't feel he did need to take the vaccine, even though we know, Natural immunity is uh, very short-lived. Most people, most experts will say probably four months at best you'll have natural immunity and then you're just like everyone else. Um, and he's a young person. Yeah, it means you probably you won't have as much a chance to die, but, I mean, you're playing with how, you're playing with fire in terms of saying I'm young, so therefore I can I can fight COVID. Um, and we should, he should know about natural immunity being ridiculous because then Michael, Michael Porter Jr., a uh, player for the Nuggets, who also is not getting the vaccine and – his rationale by saying he had COVID twice and he's willing to just deal with those <laughs> ramifications as opposed to getting the vaccine. So for Isaac to say, I have natural immunity, maybe just talk to his own anti-vax buddy Porter about how actually you're probably going to get COVID again if you decide you're just going to be out here uh, unvaxxed and not caring about other people's health. So now to, to, to put this all kind of in perspective, Kendall, the NBA reports 90% of his players are vaccinated. 
Um, and stars like LeBron James and Damian Lillard uh, spoke about their support for the vaccine and why they decided to get the shot. Uh, I thought Desmond Bain probably had the the uh, his second year player from the Grizzlies probably had the best um, kind of response to like you know why he got the vaccine. Essentially saying, look, like this is what I did research. This is what helps people saying is going to be the best way to get out of this situation. At the end of the day, I want to be a person who tried to help people and tried to keep people safe. And if you know if somehow. Years down the line, I've, there's some bad thing that happened with the vaccine. At least I could say I tried to help people. And then I didn't just sit around and do nothing. Which I thought was just a extremely mature and really well thought out response from Bain. Uh, Kendall, what did you make of this display from the unvaccinated players who were outspoken uh, today? And kind of what do, you, what do you make of how this may uh, impact the rest of the season? Uh, yeah, I mean... NBA media day was definitely a dark day for the NBA. Uh, you know, and not only that, but we had the the, the Simmons, you know, cloud over Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. We had Zion talking about how, yeah, I broke my foot. You know, <laughs> it, was a rough, it was a rough day. Um, on top of all the other stuff that you mentioned. I mean, it was, you know, look, I think the, the worst of the worst is – it's definitely, in my opinion, the Kyrie situation, only because Kyrie uh, is the best player out of all those guys you mentioned, and he is the he's on the best team. And so, if we're talking if we're talking implications, you know, long term implications on the NBA season and on the NBA landscape. Uh, Kyrie's Kyrie's status is the one that is the most impactful. I mean, Jonathan Isaac. You know, look, we already know where Jonathan Isaac stands on the on on the uh, ideological spectrum. This isn't news. Um, and look, I mean, he's a fine player. He's coming back from injury. We'll see how he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I mean, the Orlando Magic aren't a relevant team in the NBA. So, right. I mean, you know, I, I, I Jonathan Isaac, in my opinion, it's not it's, it's not relevant. It's it's just. You know, it's just a, it's just a story in the in the grand scheme of the NBA, uh, in the in uh, the NBA culture and whatnot. But but um, but particularly with with a guy like with Kyrie, um, this is a situation that is worrisome. You know, it's a situation that suggests that uh, it you know this is why maybe the Nets were considering moving Kyrie, reportedly. Uh, it's a situation that you know explains. Um, all the all all the the little stuff we've heard from Kyrie and the stuff that we haven't heard from Kyrie, um, and all you know ultimately it, it puts a, a dying cloud on what's on what on this next season, and they can pretend it doesn't. I don't know. I mean, again, we heard the report, or we heard the stuff from Sean Marks talking about how they expect everyone will be vaccinated by the start of the season, uh. I said it on the show last week. I'm not, I'm not in the business of pretending I know what Kyrie's gonna do. Um, you know that guy is an unpredictable, he's an unpredictable cat. <laughs> I know as a Celtics fan. So, you know, it, it's if you're if you're the Nets, you got to take it day by day. Um, but it's, it's 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 a gut punch because not only it, it, will Kyrie not be able to play in home games, he won't be able to play. Assuming things don't change, which maybe they will, you know, uh, they won't if people continue to have the mindset like Kyrie. But if things start to change, things start to get better, maybe things will change. But if things don't, 
He won't be able to play in home games in the playoffs. He's only going to be able to play in half of half of a playoff series. You know, he's only. What happens if they are in a playoff series against the Knicks? He's not going to play. Mm. I mean, <laughs> no disrespect to the Knicks, they may not need him, but still, he's not going to play. Like, that's that's the concern. And, or what happens if other cities follow suit? Right. You know, if things if things don't get better, but they get worse potentially, yeah, God forbid, and other cities decide we're going to follow suit. What happens is now you can't play in Massachusetts. You can't play in Boston. What happens is now you can't play in all of California. You know, like these things are are in. Look again, Bradley Beal. You know, great player, but you know, I mean, the Wizards. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Especially if he's only playing, especially I mean, he he doesn't have the mandates like Kyrie and Wiggins have to deal with. But for now, but you know. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs anyway, especially if they have any sort of outbreaks or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, the Kyrie thing is the big deal for the league. Um, and yes, it's, it's tough, man. I think, you know, I thought we saw a lot of, saw a lot of politics and I don't mean politics. Yes. We saw a lot of politics from a, uh, you know, Republican Democrat perspective, but yeah. even more. So we saw capital P politics, I guess, in that regard. Or maybe low right. speed. I'm not sure. <laughs> right, <laughs> but but yeah, but we saw we saw politics. We saw a lot of politicking within the NBA. Right. Uh, players association, player NBA players, you know, relations. Um. You know, like a guy like Jalen Brown, who we know where Jalen Brown stands on a lot of issues. Very, very. Uh, forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very public about his. His, his perspective on a lot of issues, um, you know, he was he was out there saying, "Look, you know, I think it's, I think it's a personal thing. I'm not really going to get into that, this and that." People didn't know how to take that. People, uh, there were a lot of people that were very surprised. Um, but Jalen Brown is also a guy who's trying to run the Players Association at some point. He probably will at some point. Uh, and when you have uh, a, a loud minority in the Players Association, that's you know, yeah. Saying I'm not going to do this, and what do you what do you do in that perspective? And again, I don't know. I don't know how Jalen Brown feels. Maybe Jalen Brown, and maybe he's a part of that. Maybe he does feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Exactly. I, I, we can't confirm that. But again, a guy like LeBron, who yeah. you no know, said he said he got it, but it's also like, yeah. But I also think it's up to everybody to have their own decision and stuff. And again, these guys can say this stuff. It's you know I'm not I'm not even here to you know blast LeBron or blast Jalen Brown, but I think that it's clearly there's a politicking going on. And that these guys are walking on eggshells. Yeah, the fact that that, that, you guarantee there's some NBA player I think these guys are are nuts. 100%. You know know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, like, I think that a lot of NBA players who got the vaccine were very respectful. Um, And I guess I'll give them a pseudo- kind of had nod to being respectful. I don't think that by speaking to how reckless these guys are being, you're being disrespectful. But I think it goes back to one like you mentioned, the the, the players union aspect of it, where the union's kind of in this they're in this very weird middle game where they want to try to emphasize the importance of vaccinations but also don't want to alienate members who who refuse to get vaccinated. Um and I think it's 
this athlete brotherhood um, thing that I kind of talked about on a different note on Twitter about uh, just a ridiculous comments this week by Des Bryant about Colin Kaepernick and how the, uh, you know, I am athlete. Shout out to them. I love their podcast. Chad Ocho, um, uh, Brandon Marshall, Channing Crowder, Fred Taylor. Um, none of them guys was checking uh, Des Bryant's just complete falsehoods and misinformation regarding what Kaepernick has done for the black community. Um, I think a lot of that stems from this brotherhood of, of not really checking guys, uh, checking, you know, your, your, your fellow brothers when they're, when they're, when they're off on something, when they're doing something wrong. Um, and there's a lot of, I think America as a whole, there's a lot of, in, we've kind of uh, distorted and perverted the kind of individualism that's supposed to make the country great. And it allows us to kind of just be like, hey, you do you, I do me, and everything will be good. And for a lot of things, for I'd say almost most things, that's true in America. Um, there are some things that where it just isn't, and I'm sorry, it just isn't. And in this situation, no, it just isn't true or isn't right that if you do you and I do me in terms of I get a vaccine, you don't. Everything will be great. Sorry. Sorry, bud. Eh, wrong answer. That's just not the case. It's some things we got to be in it together. Um, if there was an alien invasion, guess what? It can't be a, hey, you do you, I do me, and we'll be good. No, no we're going to have to band together and fight these aliens off if we want to have a, a, a world together as humans. You know? Um, I mean, climate change. Sorry, it's not you do you, I do me. Okay, I'm, I, I support climate change, but I'm okay if you want to just, you know, destroy our environment. We all got to live on the same earth. So, no, some things just aren't you do you, I do me, and everything be good. Um, and this is unfortunately one of them. For this vaccination program to work, most of the people have to get it. That's just how it is in the world. If, it does, if, if only half the people want to get it, it's not going to work. It's not going to work, and it's actually going to be a detriment because, if, again, if these guys really, quote-unquote, did their research, you understand that the longer we don't get to a certain number of vaccinations, the easier and more likely it is you have variants of this virus that become more resistant to vaccines, putting people who were vaccinated yeah. against COVID at risk. Now, so it's one of those things where, you know, someone tweeted something, and, you know, I look, I've been very clear. I think that... uh no, Kyrie lost a lot of, um, he lost a lot of cred for me, you know, and I think I probably have more cred for Kyrie <laughs> than obviously you do, and maybe a lot of people do. Um, but what Kyrie has a lot. Of, well, look, Kyrie has a lot of, he has a lot of cred. You know what I'm saying? He has a lot of uh, support because he does do some really uh, charitable yeah, no things. One thinks, no one thinks Kyrie is a complete clown. I mean, maybe there are people that do, but at least not on, not for my, not for my, right. He has, yeah, he, 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 I, I, I guess. He's a, he's a complicated he a figure. Of... He's a complicated figure. He does a lot of great things. He puts, he sheds light on a lot of really important issues. Um, I don't think he's a bad person. Um, I think he sometimes treats people badly, but I don't think he's a bad person. Um, I think he's a young man, just like I'm a young man, still trying to figure out kind of where they are in this world. I think he's kind of going through, um, he's going, he's going through something. You know, I don't know what it is. I'm not saying he's going through something bad. It's just, as you're a young person, you're trying to kind of figure out who you are. I think he's trying to figure out, figure a lot of that out. But he lost a lot of credit for me because a lot of times, you know, he's talked about how he 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 does view himself as a role model, and I'm and especially for black people. I'm sorry, I don't ever want to hear Kyrie Irving ever use the word role model to describe himself. You can't have a vaccine, excuse me, a a, a pandemic and a virus that is just ravaging the black community in disproportionate numbers, killing black people 
in America at much higher, I don't want to say much higher, but higher numbers than other groups. Um, uh, a situation where our community is not getting vaccinated to the race that we need to try to stave off this vaccine. Excuse me, save off this virus. You can't say you're a role model for these black people and then co-sign Instagram posts about how the vaccine is is is, is linked to uh, ability to get black people linked to Satan and all this kind of nonsense. Um, or, or even something as simple as there are a lot of fans who live in Brooklyn, who live in New Jersey, who excited to see you come to the New, to the Brooklyn Nets? I almost called the New Jersey Nets. Jesus, um, come to the Brooklyn Nets, and you said a lot of that was for the, you, these young kids can see you up close and personal. And your job is to play basketball in the city of New York. It's the reason why you supposedly came here. It's a city I love. You can't come around and people asking you, "What's that? Are is there any chance we're going to see you play home games because of the way the rules are right now?" Sorry, I need a better answer than respect my privacy. This is not a private situation. You got a lot of people who are making not a lot of money who are willing to spend, maybe maybe to their detriment, their hard-earned cash because they want to see you play basketball. And you're getting paid very handsomely to do it. They've given you a great life in order for you to do it, and you, t- you chose this city. I think it was highly disrespectful for him. We're not talking about what you think of vaccines. We're not talking about... Any of that stuff. We know you're not vaccinated. So this is not a personal question. It's simply, do you think you're going to play at home this year? I think that those fans who you supposedly want to be a role model for, who you want to rep, I think they deserve something better than respect my privacy. I'm sorry. That was corny. So, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put something out there. I, that I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that bold. Uh, it's not, I'm not the first person to suggest this. Uh, but... I haven't heard anybody go this far recently in that. I would not be surprised. I don't say I wouldn't be surprised. I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if Kyrie never played another game again. And that sounds like what? The season's about to start. But mm-hmm. I don't think, I just don't think he could go about this. And yeah, I'm only going to play a real game. Well, then, so that's where me and you differ. So like, I agree. There's no way we're going to come into the season he's only playing road games. I think, besides against the games against the Knicks and Warriors. Um, though it's actually weird, because we got to get into the rules in those local laws. I have an issue with it. But technically, he could play against the Warriors, but he probably wouldn't play against the Knicks. Because in those both those cities, apparently, exactly. it's you're exempt if you're not a, employed by someone in the city. Which is just crazy to me. I don't know why yeah, they either. would put that in there. So I kept tweeting about, oh, man, it's going to be great when uh, R.J. Barrett <laughs> and Fournier do work when Washington and Orlando comes to town. Sure enough, uh, those guys are going to be somehow allowed to suit up and play, So even though the guys who live in these cities and play for these can't. That's ridiculous. But what I will say is the, I'm, now I'm fine with the rule um, in terms of, like, unvaccinated people would not be able to play. I don't like that the road guys can play. That doesn't make any sense. But um, I kind of lost my point. What I was going to say. But anyway, I just feel Hi. like – I think he's going to retire. What are you going to say? Oh yeah, you think he's going to retire? I think he's going. To, I think he's going to get the vaccine. I think, and that's why this thing is. That's honestly why I almost think this is more ridiculous. I'd actually have almost more respect for him. But I really believe that he was going to either stand his ground and not get the vaccine and play half the season or quit. Um, I have more respect for him for that, to be honest, than what I think is going to happen, which is he's going to end up getting the vaccine. And 
let me be clear. When I say respect for him, getting the vaccine is the right decision. It's the right decision for himself. It's the right decision for society. So I'll respect the decision to get the vaccine. What I don't respect is the circus that he centered around an issue that he clearly didn't feel that strongly about. Because when push came to shove, he just got the shot anyway. We could have got it months ago. That's the aspect I don't respect from Kyrie Irving. And again, why I don't ever want to hear this guy ever talk to him about himself as a role model. You're not a role model. You're a guy who plays basketball. You're an incredible talent. One, I've told you, I don't know how many times I've talked about how great Kyrie Irving is, the nuclear weapon he is in the offensive player. One of the more skilled players to ever play the point guard position. That's how I feel about Kyrie as a player. Don't talk about being a role model. You're a great player. You, I'll even, I'm fine with you even calling yourself an artist. But this, and you do good things for the community. But you're not a role model. You're just a basketball player who does nice things. But when it came, push came to shove, and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, black people, were being were dying in this country. This is what your stance was. This is what you thought was important. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear anything about from him about that anymore at this point in his career. Just play basketball, support the things you support, but don't don't bring about this level of brevity to like who you are as a as a larger figure. Because of it. You're just a guy trying to do good things in the community. Just keep it at that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, welcome to the club. You know, I, I, I didn't hold... I, I, I never held Kyrie on any any higher... Uh, higher. The only thing uh, that annoys me, though, Kendall, is every time he does something that's obviously questionable, and I feel like I've been one of the more fair people, I give him his due, and I criticize him when I think he's wrong. But what I'm tired of is the stand culture we have in sports where we have folks, even after this nonsense, saying, look, man, I still think Kyrie's a great dude. And y'all don't say nothing when Kyrie does something for the community. Stop it. Stop. He's just a basketball player who does great charitable work. You can, If you feel comfortable about or you feel like it's, it's you want to highlight that, that's totally fine. We should. He's doing great stuff. But don't. Every time he does something that's obviously questionable, try to defend him for no reason. This, this is indefensible. This is indefensible. Not only is it indefensible, it's important for us to speak about why it's wrong. It's not just a, hey, man, you do you, I do me, and we're just going to be good. No. Sorry. And yeah. and my problem is these people, Not it's not just Kyrie, it's these other people, his fans, and these, these quote-unquote media people who are not supposed to be fans but are who keep elevating him to a higher level and saying that there's some, and there have been smear campaigns against him, but taking every critique from, of him as some kind of crazy conspiratorial campaign against what he does for black people and for marginalized folks. Sometimes it ain't. Sometimes the dude is just wrong. Sometimes the the dude is just off. We got to be able to say that and stop this staying culture nonsense. The other thing I think is interesting about this thing is that I think, what we saw in the NBA was worse than what we saw in the NFL because, one, the NFL does not have, unlike uh, unlike your boy Brandon Marshall, does not the NFL players don't have guaranteed contracts on the level that NBA players do. Uh, right. But <laughs> right, Brandon Marshall. Newsflash. Yeah, exactly. Didn't seem to understand that, but, but yeah. But so because of that, like I think there was there was far more. Um, Un, untold or unsaid pressure on the NFL play on NFL players to get vaccinated, and we saw what happened to Cam Newton when he wasn't. Um, 
NBA players can do this and not be nearly as worried, um, which is which is why, like, you have these guys like Kyrie. Yeah, they're not getting paid in these games that they're missing, but they're not going to get cut, so it doesn't matter. To like, to, for their perspective, like, yeah, I may lose half. That's fine. Um, but with the other the other aspect is there is this there is now this thing where you can't play in home games for some of these guys. So like it, it now becomes now it's it's truly affecting uh and obviously because it's an indoor sport and other aspects they they they're they're in more other cultural things like they're more they're more gonna be a little more strict about that. Um whereas in the NFL you really wouldn't know if a guy is vaccinated or not outside of you know outside of either asking him or uh if a guy has a close contact and then has to sit out but but yeah i mean other, but it's it's tough because we also saw a lot of great nfl players that didn't say anything about it didn't didn't say whether or not they were or were declined to comment i mean dak prescott declined to comment you know, Zach Wilson declined to comment. Kirk Cousins, we already know Kirk Cousins is, but like, you know, there's a lot of guys. Chase Young, you know, and these guys yeah. didn't get didn't get put through the ringer. Even Lamar Jackson, obviously, we know where he's at as well. Like, and there's plenty of other guys that. Yeah, everybody, everybody's a HIPAA expert. They don't know what the hell HIPAA is. Yeah, that, and, that's been and, very fun to to see. And that that is that is. The, the 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 interesting part about this is that it because because of the way the rules are in the NFL, um, it's like less of a it's less of a quote unquote issue. But um, but it's yes, yeah, I mean it's not good, you know. And in the end, it's tough because the NBA is trying. Like the NFL isn't really they don't really care. I mean they're trying to do stuff, but at the end of the day, if you, they're not they're not gonna. Yeah, they're just, yeah. I mean, they said that you're just gonna get, you're just gonna forfeit. They just they're done with like right. With like this. that's that's the pressure they're putting yeah. on these guys. Yeah, and they're putting it on the teams is more more so than the players. Just say, look, if you don't if, if you don't like it, then cut a guy. Um, but to me, like the, the in, in the NBA, and we also saw an article in ESPN by Baxter Holmes, ESPN.com, where you know NBA staffers were mandated, and they're not happy about these guys not having to, to take it and not being mandated because it puts them in danger. They feel like I have to take this. Uh, these guys don't. And, you know, I, I, what if, what if I get it and, you know, my, you know, my parents get it or my wife and kid or my kid who's unvaccinated, stuff like that. And again, and it's all because of these players because the NBA is scared to mandate it. And, you know, I mean, it, it, I, I don't, I understand why they're scared to mandate it because the player association has said it's a non-starter. And to me, that's, you know, again, the NBA players association, I, if you're upset about, if you're upset at Kyrie, I'm upset about the play, at the players because they want to pretend that they're for some of this stuff and this and that. But then when push yeah. comes to shove, they're scared. Yeah, I want to say I don't know if it was I don't know if it was Kevin Blackstone or Woody Page. Apologies to both men. I don't let, none of the men look alike, so I know it's very weird. I just know because they were both going back and forth about the issue on Around the Horn a couple days ago, um, and one of them agreed with each other and expanded on. That's why I was confused which one. But one of them said something that I was like kind of true. It's just like well, I don't know why they don't just put this to a vote. 
Like, if 90% of the people are vaccinated, I'm pretty sure that uh, – because the, the player association votes for other stuff. Like, they just vote, like, to yeah, you can get the majority. certain things. And they, they win the majority. If they decide, no, you got to man, we're going to mandate people getting the vaccine. They, they would win the majority. It wouldn't, I don't think it would be, like, a blowout. I think it would be close. Because I think there are a lot of guys that don't want to, you know, ruffle their feathers to the teammates. But I think a yeah. blind vote where they got to say everybody's vaccinated, I think that it wins. And it's like, why don't they just do that? Like, why are they doing this whole, if it's all of us, then I guess we got to just defend the few. When they don't ever do that when it comes to, hey, we're going to give the owners all this different, you know, new rules to, to enforce on us. We're going to have a, a simple majority vote on if, if, if whether or not this passes. Something like, hey, trying to protect the lives of the people we're around mostly. That includes our family, the coaching staff, and, of course, our teammates. Uh, no, nah, we don't have 100% vote, so we can't. We can't do anything about that. And I thought that was a great point. I was like, I don't understand why this has even become, why this is so, I know why, but the fact that we're not seeing that is a, is a detriment to, uh, to the, to the, to the um, competency of the players. And I think that Michelle Roberts, for the most part, has done a good job, but she deserves a lot of heat for this. One last thing I want to say on this before we move on, um, and, and, and I thought that, you know, to me, the reason why I talked a lot about the lack of, of leadership and the, and the, the lack of uh, a responsibility that I saw from Kyrie Irving, um, he's not alone. You know, I, I, you know, he, he kind of opened up the floodgates to me, and him being the biggest star, and him being in this in this city, my city, New York City, I felt like addressing him uh, was important. Uh, but Bradley Beal also clown behavior this week, um, and you know, the other guys aren't as big stars, but you know, none of them guys look good. All of them guys look ridiculous. Uh, they got co-signs from Ted Cruz, so. You know, you, as I as I tweeted, you know, if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. So, congrats to you guys. You guys are are lockstep with with uh, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. And that's where again I look at Kyrie, and I say, you know, yeah, is it is this is this helping the black community? Is it is Ted Cruz? You, you have you? your own politics. Is this, you is have this, your uh, own agenda. <laughs> yeah, is this is this what you wanted? Is this what you've been looking for? Is this is this moving forward? What your what your agenda is? I find that hard to believe, considering yeah. what I know he values, and I respect what he values. That's why it's that's why it's so annoying and so frustrating to have this conversation. But the last thing I wanted to end on was Kareem, who was in that Rolling Stone article, and I thought this this part about it I thought was just very poignant, and I thought kind of just made the most sense to me. And he said, you know, the athletes are failing to live up to responsibilities that come with celebrity. Athletes are under no obligation to be the spokesperson for the government, but this is a matter of public health. By not encouraging their people to get the vaccine. They're contributing to these deaths. I'm also concerned about how this perpetuates the stereotype of young, of dumb jocks who are unable to ver- to to look at verify science scientific evidence and reach a rational conclusion. And that that to me is just a drop the mic moment because that's he, everything he said right there is facts. Um, these guys, all these guys talking about doing research, and then you got people saying just ridiculous. Bradley be talking about, oh, you can get COVID and spread COVID if you had the vaccine. Like, just stuff that's just, like, like literally, like, if you do, like, five minutes of research, you would understand why that's not a, a reasonable talking point to not getting the vaccine. Jonathan Isaac saying, I have natural immunity, so therefore, I'm good. Again, five minutes of research will lead you to why that's not a reason to not get the vaccine. Like, these guys are going out there but saying with their chest stupid, stupid, huge, stupid stuff. Got, and then saying, well, I've done research. And they look like dumb jocks. And that's what's sad because these are black men who are have a big platform. There's not a lot of black people in, um, in 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 very visible situations. And this is what they this is this these these this is what they're saying. 
This is what we're hearing from them. It's sad. Yeah, and it's tough because someone like Jonathan Isaac, you know, he, I mean, yeah, I'm sure he's doing a lot of research, but it's, <laughs> the research he's doing is, is, is very suspect. Yeah, it's, 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 it's you, you got to go to the right sources of information. I mean, Jalen Rose, when Lamar Jackson was talking about how he has to speak to his doctor about what he's going to do and this and that, Jalen Rose put it best where he's like, I'll tell you what, what your doctor's going to say. Get the vaccine. 100%. Like there, there, there's nothing else to talk about, man. Yeah, yeah. You're not. Gonna, no, there's, there's not. you are not going to find a reputable doctor, a reputable health, medical health expert that's going to say you should not get the vaccine unless you have these very. There's, there are some instances where they are, you know, and we could talk about those. There, there's research and there's things to say. Hey, maybe you should hold off for various reasons. The reasons are very narrow, but there are reasons. This and is I not honestly if, like if, if I, if you're I young real, or you've had COVID before or just not one of them. I, I think a lot of the trepidation from a lot of these guys is, is you, we can have debates about, you know, whether it's conspiratorial or it's religious. But I think it, it's I think most of it is in that lane. Like, I think John's and I think I think it's political. I think it's I think he's he aligns with that that group. You know, and you know, and he's all, it's also religious for him on some level, but or like Michael Porter as well. Like I think it's a it's a it's a religious political thing. For someone like Kyrie, I think it's more religious meets Cons- conspiracy, conspiracy, right? And you know, I think that that's it's 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 where this is tough. You know, because you got some of these guys. I think I mean most of these guys in the league. I mean, again, there's plenty of religious people that got the vaccine. There's plenty of uh, you know, conspirator players. people, who, skeptical people who got the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, one hundred percent. And you know, it, to me, I mean, my thing is, look, if you're willing to, if you're willing to retire for your religion, go for it. You know, I can't stop you if you're willing to. You want to go over your career? He ain't. None of them guys that, are. And that's why. That's why. That's why. Yeah, again, that's why my respect I, for look, again, is, is, is that. And I'll say what I said last week, man. I'm not. Don't put business. anything past Kyrie. Of putting anything past Kyrie, man. I feel you. <laughs> I I thought there's no way Kyrie's gonna do this and that. No way. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I'm 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 done doing that. Isaac Isaac seems like he's in that Kyrie thing as well. But someone like someone like Beal, I I I, think I, I just feel like next time to show. Uh, no next no no. I, I I hope that next time you know they talk to Jonathan Isaac. They say, uh, Jonathan, when you tore your ACL, what research did you do to decide that uh, getting surgery was the right move? Um, what you know, I, I, people should could you know because you know when you go under, I mean, you could you know you might not wake up, you know, like well, like, like people should like yeah. people should give like every time these guys want to talk about anything, I, I feel like I would be just I'd be peppering them with questions about other things yeah. that they relied on experts to do. You get the surgery, that they, I mean, you know, you that could. You could you know, get, you could tear your ACL you can get again. Infection. Yeah, you can get. Yeah, all no, right. You can <laughs> yeah, I mean, people who get surgery, people who get surgery, still tear their ACLs. Why, why, yeah. why, why do we get the surgery? Maybe you just don't need it. Yeah, it's nonsense, man. It's nonsense. Anyway, let's continue on. Let's talk about these rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, Kendall. So there was a lot of anticipation for this year's crop, but so far it's been a bit of a disaster for the young signal callers. Trevor Lawrence of the Jaguars, Zach Wilson of the Jets. Justin Fields of the Bears and Mac Jones of the Patriots have each suffered from turnovers, poor support by the offensive line and receivers, and questionable coaching. In their starts, they are combined one and nine, 
and that posted a combined QBR of 26.4. Kendall, of these situations, which team or teams should be most concerned about their uh, where they stand with their rookie quarterbacks three weeks into the season? Uh, the team that should be most concerned. So I'll, I'll say most concerned and least concerned. Uh, most concerned should definitely be uh, the Jets. Um, and least concerned should be should be the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence. But uh, on, 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 on Wilson, I feel like the Zach Wilson stuff, well, I think undoubtedly Wilson has the worst situation um, from having a rookie play caller, a rookie head coach, uh, his best offense, best offensive lineman out, not a great offensive line outside of his best offensive lineman, um, mediocre, you know, skill guy, mediocre receivers, rookie running back with a fourth round pick, like a lot of a lot of things going wrong for him on the offensive side of the ball. And again, a head coach that's a defensive coach. So again, you have a rookie play caller in Mike LaFour who's never been an offensive coordinator before. So it's it's the worst situation by far, I think, of these guys. I mean, and that's saying something because Trevor Lawrence is not in a great situation in Jacksonville. But with that being said, um, Wilson has shown a lot of good stuff, but he... He struggles right now. He's struggling with the transition of um, not being in great context because, and that was when I when I when I evaluated Zach Wilson at BYU. That was honestly the thing that concerned me the most with the transition and where he was going to be drafted. It was he was the most like I wouldn't say he was the most like Zach. He wasn't the most like Mac Jones because. The throws he was making were a lot different, uh, a lot more impressive. But he he was in a situation while we assumed because it was BYU that, well, yeah, I mean it's it's uh, you know he's not like he's playing with you know Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle and this and that. But um, he had two NFL you know level draftable kind of receivers at BYU. He had an incredible offensive line. You know, dudes that were 25, 26 years old. Um, and if you watch, obviously, he had a lot of time in the pocket to make plays. And he's going against, you know, a, a really weak schedule, given it was a pandemic year and BYU wasn't, it was, or an independent, so they couldn't play against conference opponents. And so they had to kind of scrounge together a, a, a weak schedule. Um, so a lot of, it was a lot of lightning in the bottle stuff for Zach Wilson at BYU. And, while he showed a lot of good stuff that I think he's continuing to show in New York in terms of the talent, taking him out of what was a great contextual situation and putting him into the poorest situation with the Jets is is where you're seeing this this real shocking awe of struggling and not not really knowing what to do. Um and that that's and that's 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 unfortunate um i and i think it'll get fixed but what does that even mean because he's been been one of the worst quarterbacks in the league so far if it gets fixed is he middle of the pack or is it is it he gets fixed and he becomes you know a top five guy that that remains to be seen but what we've seen so far i mean my comp for him coming out was drew lock 
And what we've seen so far has looked like Drew Locke. Um, we'll see if that switches. He has a talent, just like Eddie Drew Locke has. I love Drew Locke coming out of Missouri, so I didn't even look at that as a, a knock. It was just, I, I thought those guys assumed we were coming out. But, like, we'll see. I think Drew Locke has a talent to fix his career. But right now, Zach Wilson is at that point of his, of his career as well, whereas Lawrence has shown a lot of, although he has had mistakes similar to to Zach Wilson, uh, I think he's had more wow moments. Um, he's had the most the most amount of throws that really, and Wilson has had some big plays as well, but Lawrence has had some real elite NFL throws. Um, and, you know, I mean, look, they're they're trying. Like, they're, they're another team, but they don't have a lot. And they're they're relying on, on Lawrence mostly because they're down twenty one zero every game to throw the ball fifty times, and I you know it's similar to what we saw I think from Burrow last season in in Cincinnati, but um, I don't know. I mean I don't think it's going to work necessarily maybe with that coaching staff and that that group, but Trevor Lawrence as a prospect is is as advertised. EJ. Sorry, my mic uh, My mic uh, was uh, <laughs> pause there. No, I think, wow, first of all, well said on Wilson on a lot of different things there. Um, I, I think for me, I think one, I think, I think all these situations are really concerning right now for a variety of reasons. Um, on Wilson, uh, I'm a hold on him being the most concerning only because the Jets just don't have the horses. And... Sometimes you say, okay, well, that's been the story for the Jets for the last 10, 15 years, and all those quarterbacks failed, so maybe that's very concerning. I guess the the, the, the reason why I pause is because I feel like this coaching staff and this administration, in terms of the front office, seems more inclined to really try to boost that side of the ball in terms of offense. Uh, they're not there yet. They were sitting at just below ground zero, so I think they're now maybe at zero. <laughs> so now they're trying to build from here. It's not going to look pretty. I think I don't think I don't think we thought it looked as bad as this, but I think considering some of the, uh, especially with you know Makai Becton going out, and then also when he was out there wasn't playing all that good. Um, I think that when you think of those things, I think it's not as surprising. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this Justin Fields situation. Um, I know Justin Fields is your guy. Um, he's played the least out of these players, so fair is fair. I don't want to make it sound like you know he he we've seen this great body of work, but I think my concern for him more lies with the coaching staff um right because there's inept coaching happening in chicago that is highly alarming i don't think the jets are coaching ineptly i just don't think they have good players um they, you saw Rick ryan taking a shot at uh at robert sala uh i i've not seen it but i heard it uh it's not surprising it was sala is taking some heat uh for this start i i I guess to me, I just think it's like kind of just like what did you expect? What? Yeah, exactly. I'm just like I don't know like what like what did you really expect? Like I really expected this to be a, as soon as I heard Wilson was struggling in training camp, I'm like this so, is gonna be a rough go. Yeah, you, no, he's that, not, that was, you got the hope it's gonna be one of those years, but he's a rough rookie year. The second what? year they infuse a lot of talent, he learns a lot, and then second year they're real ready to go. quick. And look, mm-hmm. obviously I have a lot of first round picks. Real quick, I want to ask you as a Jets fan. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, you were a Jets fan that didn't want Wilson, but you were fine with it. Right, him. to be fair, yes. Like, how do you feel now? Do you feel like they would be in a better spot right now 
if they would have kept Sam Darnold and maybe traded the pick down, got a penny school and got other draft picks or uh, a million percent. Yeah. Yeah. A million. I don't, I, I can't put a percentage on it. It's just, I think it's that astronomical. Um, Looking at how Sam Darnold's playing in Carolina, where I don't think he lit the world on fire. Yeah, but he's not looking, but, but he's been competent. Yeah, they're winning games. Yeah, like, he's winning games. He's making the right plays. Um, he's not killing the team. He, he's incompetent. But he has really good players. And at the end of the day, my biggest problem with the Jets and how they built with Sanchez and how they built with um, with, with Gino and how they built with with uh, with with Sam was this th- idea that you know, well, we don't need to actually put quality offense players around him. We're just gonna try to just help the defense out, and then and then you know. We'll, we'll figure something out on offense. Like, we're not going to get real game-breaking type of guys, take big swings on talented kids coming out of the draft or big swings in free agency or through trades. Um, and at least, you know, at least to, to give credit to uh, to uh, Tannenbaum, at least they did try to do that through off-trades and stuff like that, getting to Antonio Holmes, Braylon Edwards. They did do something. They, they, I think they, they, they got these old guys or guys who had a very short prime. So I thought that the – longevity was short-lived and then they never really, really it, replenished that talent but the other the other guys that have come before after them it's been just you know Idzik and, and McCagney who just sent the team just into the abyss you know it yeah. was just kind of just like you know you know just just like kind of punting every year when it came to the draft of free agency on offensive talent or taking the wrong guy like Le'Veon Bell and thinking that that was going to figure it out so this is where we're at so I, and I, I would, it would have been so much better because they made some good moves in the draft. They 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 signed. I thought Corey Davis. He has he's been mixed mixed bag. He's dropping some balls, but I think he's still the right signing. I think that you would have seen a decent start to the Jets season if Sam Darnold was still the quarterback. And they you gave had, themselves no chance doing it like this. You'd have had all the guys you had, plus like two more like high level draft picks. Right, exactly. And Sam Darnold is playing is playing quarterback as opposed to Wilson, which again may not even be that big of a difference, but with extra talent, like does make the difference. And I've, I have heard people make the case, well, no, you always, like Damian Woody, I think, made this case. Shout out to Damian Woody. Oh, well, you still had to get rid of Sam Darnold because his clock, his contract was running out, and you'd rather have the guy on the rookie deal. Well, my thing is, newsflash, like, who was giving Sam Darnold $100 million? Yeah. Like, you were going to get him on a cost-controlled contract anyway. Definitely. You could have you extended him, probably. Probably could have extended him. Yeah, you could have said, look, we'll, very... we'll extend you to a reasonable number because you've not shown anything. And yeah, he probably exactly. would have signed it. Exactly. And that at that point, it would have been up to him to either, look, i got to bet on myself, or they're going to draft the quarterback next year. Right. You know? And, yeah. like, so this idea that, well, no, you have to do a community quarterback on a rookie contract, Darnold wasn't going to get that much more than Wilson's no. making now. Yeah, look at the look at what the Jets got for Darnold. It wasn't a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. I mean, they, they, and it's not like this thing can't be salvaged. Like you said, it's still plenty of time. But if 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 that was the debate, Darnold versus Wilson, which route should they have gone? The you know round one goes to the Darnold camp for sure. Yeah, and and quickly on fields to me, it's just the coaching over there is just so inept. Um, that game plan has been mar- no just been barbecued and just picked apart by almost anybody that cares about football. Uh, that they went up against the, the Cleveland Browns, that hellacious pass rush and how they just The game plan them. that involved no protection, no ma- extra protection. No. Against, just one-on-ones, Garrett versus Jason Peters. Yeah, yeah, and they're playing, playing empty sets. And it, just, it was just, ridic- <laughs> just ridiculous offense. And 
I think to me the reason why that's concerning is because uh, this front office and that that ownership there saw what Matt Nagy did with uh, Trubisky and decided, nope, he's the right guy to usher in a new quarterback, and he's gonna be able to he's gonna be his first you know taste of the NFL, and this is gonna be great. I, I, that that to me is concerning because I don't I don't know I don't know if there's any reason to trust the Bears' brain trust moving forward because. The guys that are coaching right now don't know what the hell they're doing. And it's clear the front office don't know what they're doing because they brought these guys back. So that's scary to me because, I mean, you could get this kid hurt. You could kill his confidence. I mean, he had just, uh, a, you know, like a, almost like a Ryan Leaf-type performance. And to be fair, all three of these guys have had Ryan Leaf-type performances. But, I mean, a yeah. six for 20 with multiple picks, it, I mean, where your team doesn't even get past half, you know, barely gets past you know, the 50-yard line. I mean, they just look like they didn't belong on the field. And they're not like the Jets. They have talent. That's why that's scary team. to me. Yeah, they're a playoff team last year, and they have good players. They have Robinson. They have Montgomery. They yeah. got some guys. Like, they, they shouldn't look like that, even against a good defense, even with a rookie quarterback. They should be somewhat competent. For them to look that, that out of sorts, when the Browns' offense wasn't doing anything crazy where they couldn't try to do something, like – that to me, I'm like, yeah. man, I don't, I don't know. And in just the whole situation with them yo-yoing in Andy Dalton, and now becoming, oh, you know, all three quarterbacks. Now Sam, you know, Nick Foles may get a shot this week. He's part of the conversation somehow. Like they, they don't know what they're doing over there. And this is a product of the way they got field, which was very. It, it, at the time, I think we all knew it was. I don't want to say it was. Uh, hastily put together but it seemed like they didn't realize that he would fall as far as he that he did and so once he did they were like look i mean this, this could juice up the fans and this could juice up the quarterback room but i mean because like obviously we know that this wasn't in their plans because they had the whole andy dalton qb1 post which we talked yeah. about at the time of being you know a, a joke and like so we knew their plan was to go to dalton fields you know inexplicably falls in the draft they jump. They jump over Minnesota to get him, and at that point, I don't think they were even prepared. They, I don't think they had a game plan. Now, what I will say is, all right, it's fine if you didn't have a game plan for Fields. Like, I don't expect you to be as prepared as Jacksonville is with Trevor Lawrence because they knew that they Urban Meyer was drafted or was was hired. We're gonna get Trevor Lawrence. Let's continue to <laughs> build our game plan around and our team and our scheme around the talent of Trevor Lawrence. But still, you have plenty of time. You know, it's not like this isn't the NBA where, you know, like NBA last season where, yeah, the guy with the draft and then it was training camp a week later. Like, you had four, three, four months to put together a game plan, put together a scheme for Justin Fields. They didn't They didn't do that. They decided, no, we're going to put together a scheme for Andy Dalton. Fields is just going to have to work in that environment, which, I mean, doesn't make sense. Uh, and again, you don't have a secondary game plan if – something happens to Andy Dalton that, oh, well, if Fields has to play since he's our QB2, my thing is if you're going to have this mindset, then you should just redshirt him. You should have said, yeah, we're going to keep Fold. And, but they weren't going to do that because obviously Fields should have been out there. But it's, it's like you said, it's a dereliction of duty to go out there, put the guy in harm's way, uh, don't give him a – don't give him a, a – a, 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 they, they didn't even do no pre-snap motion. They didn't nope. move the – they didn't move the pocket. Nope. You know, this guy's a great athlete. They just, I mean, nope. they, they, they treat Justin Fields like he's a nuisance. 
to be on their roster. Like they, yeah. like, 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 it's like, like, oh man, I guess, oh no, we gotta do something with him. I guess you know. And it's so bizarre some, because we're giving some wildcat stuff and like, like look, man, if he's got to start, he's got to run the Andy Dalton offense. We're not gonna do anything to help him. Like, yeah, like it's like I don't like this. That, and the fact again, the fact that they put this kid in this position is why that's most concerning to me because. I don't trust because these guys ain't gonna last. This brain trust is gonna be fired after this yeah, season. Yeah, pace, but snaggy. I would be scared with who this ownership is gonna put into place because they came into this year thinking that this was a good idea. Like that's this is so ridiculous yeah. that like those other situations, you know, you know, Lauren. I mean, look, I mean, the Urban Meyer thing was bad, but you know, they they got some talent over there, and this is early program. You'll see, you know, Zach Wilson, you know, Rob Allen, new coach, new situation. You know, Douglas has done a good job with you know using their assets. You know, it's, it, those situations are a wait and see. Mac Jones is with Bill Belichick, so you, you at least feel okay. He's gonna get coaching. If he doesn't work, it's gonna be most yeah, probably because of him. Yeah, um, McDaniel's and yeah, he's got Josh McDaniel exactly. So you feel like if it don't work, it's gonna be probably his fault mostly. With Fields, you just don't know what to expect from what the Bears are gonna do. And I've you know I you know I, I love the Jets are my favorite team, but I follow the Bears closely as well, and I root for the Bears, and I've just seen this clown show for all these years, and I have no confidence that there's gonna be. Uh, a right, a, a, a good new regime when it comes into in the in the in the in the, in the, in the picture because and then the worst they, thing they've had talent a, over there and they squandered a lot of it. The worst thing to do for a rookie quarterback is replace the coaching staff after one year. Yeah, because now they got to learn a whole new offense. Yeah, they have to learn a whole new system, and that's what they're gonna. Be and, faced I, with. and I know, Before like with Mike, with Mike Lafleur in New York, I know a lot of people have been very very critical of him. I'm 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 cool on Mike right now. I, you know, I think they should probably run the ball a little bit more. But you know, again, you you can't just be yo-yoing in OCs every mm-hmm. year and expecting things to work out. That just doesn't. It never works. You got to have some kind of stability. You got to have some kind of um uh, uh some kind of uh you know uh, rapport from yeah. year to year so the kid can learn under the same system. The problem is you. That's not an option in Chicago. That guy he shouldn't coach another game for them. They have to change. And in yeah. a position where now you got to start over when you don't even want to start over, that's 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 where that's a, that becomes non ideal. But um, let's talk about some college football. We got a, a, a big weekend ahead um, in college football with a pair of top 10 matches that features some perennial powers against some unusual suspects that have made their way to the top of the college football landscape to start the season after picking up a big win against Texas A&M at Jerry World last week. Arkansas travels to Athens to take on the dominant Georgia Bulldogs defense. And later in the afternoon, Cincinnati uh, looks to keep his playoff hopes alive when they take on Notre Dame and South Bend. Uh, Of course, you got Ole Miss also playing against Alabama this weekend. So uh, the first two games, you got two upstart programs uh, going on to try to pull off a big monumental upset. Uh, Which one do you think has the better chance of doing it? Between, uh, what, Arkansas and Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Um, I I think it's Cincinnati. Uh, I mean it's tough because I think both I think both could very well be upsets. Um, Georgia's defense is just so good. It's, it's crazy. I I just don't know if Arkansas they have, they haven't seen the defense like that. Texas A and M has a pretty good defense, but it's not Georgia, and. Obviously, against Texas, you know, they, you know, <laughs> no one's scared of Texas. <laughs> but um, 
But when it comes to the Cincinnati Notre Dame game, I, I I don't know. Notre Dame's gotten a lot of love, uh, and I guess on some level, rightfully so, given how well they looked against uh, Wisconsin as as well as they played against Wisconsin. I mean, they obviously blew the doors off of them. I don't know what that I don't know what that win means. Um, the score I don't think it was indicative. Of no. Not at all. I watched a lot of that game. That was not a close game that, for most of the game. Yeah, yeah. Not to say that like Wisconsin should have won, but like it wasn't a thirty-point win. I mean, Notre Dame either the doors got blown off in the fourth quarter, but it was a game for three quarters. And like, and I don't know how good Wisconsin is. You know, Graham Mertz has been a massive disappointment. Yes. Um, and you know they're so they're they're at a position where you know Notre Dame they you know week one almost lose to Florida State. Uh, I'm not gonna kill them because, like you said, a lot of this, a lot of this college football season has been has been hyper parity. So, you know, normally that would be a, a red flag, but it, you know, it's still not great. They almost lost to that team that yeah, has, I mean, hasn't hasn't won a game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that includes against Jacksonville State. Uh, and then week two, you almost lose to Toledo at home again. You know, hyper parity, but. You got to beat teams like Toledo, and, if you're, and I'm expecting you to be one of the best teams in the country. You got to really, you got to. I need, I need Alabama like style yeah, points. Yeah, you need some style points there. And so they don't, they don't have any of that. And and then again, we talk about this Wisconsin game. I forget who they played in week three, but regardless, like this has not been a that was a, a, a Purdue, a, a fourteen point. Yeah, another Purdue. close game. Um, against a Purdue team that I don't think anybody picked to be in the Big Ten championship game. So, like. This has not been a particularly impressive Notre Dame run. And, and look, we've seen good Notre Dame teams that win like this under Brian Kelly. Yes, definitely. Uh, that, you know, I mean, I feel like the Manti Teo team wasn't just destroying teams. Like, they, they won a lot of close games. They had a very good defense. And that's that's how you, sometimes you got to win in college football. Um, we also know in college football that teams that win a lot of close games, eventually it catches up. Yeah. Um, and uh, – Given the schedule that Notre Dame is playing, it feels like eventually it will catch up, catch up to them. I mean, the luck, the luck of the Irish will not be on their side every time they play. I mean, the Toledo game they should have lost. Florida State yeah. they could have lost, but they came out with a win. Like, like I, I don't know. I mean, against a team like Cincinnati, I, again, I'm willing to bet that that luck won't, will, you know, is less likely to stay around. Uh, then it would be that Arkansas, who's also played great, shout out to Sam, Pil- to Sam Pittman, but the the defense at Georgia, uh, just too much speed, too much talent. Arkansas, they try to do almost like a, you know, they a lot of they have a lot of QB run, a lot of, you know, you know KJ Jefferson, their quarterback is a little bit. I don't say Cam Newton, but it has plays a Cam Newton style of play, and you know they get you off off, off your game, but that stuff's not going to work in Georgia. So, um, if we're going between those two, I, I, I've got Cincinnati as the more likely. And I would probably pick Cincinnati to win this game. Honestly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go as far as to pick Cincinnati to win this week. Um, uh, I've watched a lot of Notre Dame this season. I haven't come away that impressed. And I, and, and you know me, when, when after the Florida State game, I told you, I, I, I thought that you know people were a little too critical of them. You know, I thought that, you know, the ghost of Bobby Bowden, uh, Florida State. Yeah, it's the first game of the season, so they don't know. They don't know they're going to be sorry. They think they might be pretty good, so they're playing with some confidence. You know, they got some good athletes over there. Obviously, uh, I can see yeah, you. Mackenzie Milton joined. Yeah, and yeah, Mackenzie Milton run on the court. That's very feel is very inspirational. And Notre Dame was handling them for a lot of that game, and then Florida State made a comeback. So 
I wasn't as I wasn't as you know alarmed by that result as maybe some other people were. I thought that was a good win. Um, you know, now we see what the Florida State is. You're like, oh man, okay. Well, still, I'm not gonna kill them for that. The weeks, the subsequent weeks afterwards, not the greatest. I thought last week was a good win. It wasn't. Um, they put on the style points, but it was it was like fool's goal. Like that was a, that was a really close game for most of the game. But Wisconsin's offense right now, I mean, their passing game is so inept. It's so inept um, that, to me, you didn't have to look at, like, how we – I mean, Penn State's defense is really good, but I didn't even have to look at Penn State's defense now and say, okay, you know, Auburn moved the ball a little bit on them. Like, you know, how good is it? You know, we we kind of kind of hung our hat on that week one performance against Wisconsin, but Wisconsin just – they can't throw. They can't – they can't they're, – they're so inept in terms of just moving the ball right now that, 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 that kind of puts you in a weird spot there. Cincinnati, I think, is going to be dangerous for a couple of reasons. One, Cincinnati's balanced. They can run and throw. Right now, Notre Dame is not being able to run the football, so their ability to control the clock and um, and their ability to, uh, to 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 manage the field position game has been bad. I think that's why these games have been so close, because they can't, unless they're throwing the ball a lot, they're not really able to move the chains. And I don't think they have the kind of athletes on the outside or the quarterback where they want to play that way. So... Cincinnati's defense has been good, not great. Maybe this is the week where they find the running game. It's me. This will be the week. If you don't find it this week, ironically, I know because Cincinnati's the best thing they played, but I think that they got to be able to run the ball against Cincinnati. Because I think Cincinnati's going to be able to move the ball. They're going to have good balance. I think they're going to be the best offense that Notre Dame's faced. I think Notre Dame's inability to run the football may hurt them this week because I think they may get some turnovers trying to sling it around if they try to get in the uh, track meet. Does Ole Miss have a shot? against Bama? No. Um they beat they, them last Alabama beat them last year like sixty two to like forty eight. Yeah, it was like, like it was it was like a Madden game if you played on fifteen minutes. Yeah. 15 yeah, exactly. Quarters, on rookie, like, yeah, on rookie. Or yeah, honestly was, on any level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh it was it was like a, it was one of the craziest games all year. Look, uh Matt Corral is is a very talented quarterback. I think that um all the stuff we were talking about with uh with with Rattler in terms of where he stands in terms of Heisman and stuff like that, I think you know Should Corral yeah, could definitely yeah. kind of sit that take that spot um, for me. And he had a great year last year. I think he's having another great year this year. It, it, really quick, not to cut you off, I'm just yeah. gonna we talk about the Heisman. This feels like a you had a thought about this this week that this feels like a year where the Heisman Trophy winner will not be on a college football playoff team. And I can see that. I think that's only happened. I think the one time it's happened is Lamar Jackson in the college football era. But this yeah. feels like that kind of year where the teams that, because I don't know, it's not going to be a great college football playoff, you know, group this year. Uh, and I don't know if there's going to be a, if it's not Bryce Young, it's going to be someone else who's probably not in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because, you know, I mean, Bryce Young, I think, will certainly be there. Uh, you know, JT Daniels, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, Rattler's been up and down. Um, we'll see though. His team's still undefeated, so we can't. You don't want to go too crazy. Uh, and the you know, guy who's second in that Lamar year was Deshaun Watson, who could wind up being Bryce Young, where like, hey, he's the best player on the best team. Yeah, and we got to be on Johnson. I just mentioned Corral. Like, they, yeah. you know, there's there's other guys who, you know, if Oregon doesn't win the doesn't win the Pac-12 or they lose a game, lose a couple games, but win the Pac-12, does C.J. Burdell still get it? Yeah. It's, you know, we mentioned Riddler. You know, does Riddler have to, Riddler, yeah. sorry, uh, does it mean Riddler, does he have to make the playoffs to get into the Heisman race? You know, it, that depends on what his numbers look like, you know. So, 
it's a uh, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, I mean, I think I'll, Ole Miss's offense is really it's really explosive. I just I, I don't think there's any chance they can stop Alabama. So yeah. I think that it's going to be a, probably another track meet. But considering this game is going to be in Tuscaloosa, I don't think that Ole Miss will be as potent offensively as they were last year. Yeah, this is this has a chance to be a program changing win for Lane Kiffin. Um, Arch Manning is going to be in the building in Tuscaloosa. Uh, that recruitment is obviously the most high profile recruitment that we've had. Yeah, there's no accident. Nick Saban decided that this was the week he would come on Monday Night Football <laughs> and, inter- and interrupt. His preparation. He talked about that on the on the Peyton Man and on the on the Manning cast for <laughs> football. Interrupting his preparation for Ole Miss. Yeah. To talk and about, also talked about how important quarterbacks are and how important quarterbacks playing on great teams are. Yes. Yes. That he that when it when it came <laughs> to the last time he had a quarterback recruitment that wasn't you know, that was with, you know, uh, Hertz trying to find which team he's transferred to. He said he, he made it very clear to him that he should go to the team with the best players. Yes. Very well, simple. He, yeah, it's a very simple process. I, I don't think that any of these things he's saying are just things he's just saying out of, for no reason. I think that these are all pointed comments to the you know man, the, the family of the kid that is uh, the most coveted high school player in football right now. And so, and Lane Kiffin is right. Only follows two people on Instagram. One is Matt Corral. The other is Arch Manning. So he likes quarterbacks, I guess. I mean, he likes good yeah, quarterback yeah, yeah. I guess he likes. I guess he likes quarterback. So, I mean, this is a huge deal. I mean, if they get this win, if they find a way to win this game, I mean, first of all, he said shoots Matt Corral all the way up to maybe even number one pick in the draft, but also like Heisman Trophy, you know, household name status. But for Lane Kiffin's program, it makes it it makes them, and it, it makes them a really really attractive destination for a quarterback. Given the way they play, given the way Corral has is, is played, I mean, they they might be building. I don't I don't want I don't want to jump the gun, and then next week we talk about oh yeah Alabama beat them forty two to nothing, but like they might be building something special in Oxford, Mississippi. I mean, I've just learned to never put my eggs in the Lane Kiffin basket. <laughs> I know you've done it multiple times, and you it's come I up have, crap. Man. It's come up crap every time uh, you've done Tennessee it. Tennessee is back, USC is back, <laughs> FAU is back. But but on that note, though, um, on building momentum, there is something happening in Arkansas. Um, they may get curved off this oh. week because they're playing against a juggernaut. Like, a Georgia, I mean, their offense is okay, but their defense is just so, again, so ridiculous um, that, like, it might be tough. I don't know if, like, they'll be able to compete for four quarters, but they're building something there. I mean, we saw last year – with the guys they had and a very young team and how they competed in that hellacious SEC West um, yeah. didn't win a ton of games, but they, they showed a lot of heart and grit and they seemed to be coached really well. And you're like, that was interesting. We thought Arkansas was going to lose every game they played this year. This is one and of the, this, this year they start four and oh, they're, they're recruiting one of the more impressive they, program turnaround. Like if I'm Nebraska, if I'm the 80 at Nebraska, I'm taking notes. Um, yeah. First of all, I'm sick. I'm calling so I'm like, Arkansas's I'm like, AD. Yeah. And saying how did how did you do this? And I'm calling Sam Pittman. Honestly, I'm saying how did. You oh do yeah. This? You want to do you want to come here? And I'm also calling <laughs> Sam Pittman, offering him offering him some money. Yeah, offering him a job. Yeah. Can you do that here, please? 
But like, and if you're Sam Pittman, you have to think about, hey, I mean, <laughs> man, I better chance. If I built this in Nebraska, I can. I can yeah, the Big Ten. Well. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, I mean, I like because when you talk about Arkansas, is a fairly proud football power. Definitely. But they were down. They were down bad. Oh for yeah, <laughs> a decade. Yeah, I mean, Darren McFadden McFad- is not walking through that door. Let's be clear. I, I think they lost like twenty. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Jones, Peyton Hills, man. <laughs> they, they not walking through that they, door. I think they. I think Sam Pittman broke the streak where they had lost like twenty straight SEC games. Like, mm. it was really bad in Arkansas, and for them to turn it around in, the, in a matter of it took them one year. Really, I mean, two years. Again, if you're if you're counting last season. You know, after one season, they're now a power. We'll see how long this lasts. But right now, they're ranked in the top ten. That's in, an incredible turnaround. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, the last, uh, uh, their last season with a, a double digit win total was 2011 under Bye Petrino. That was his last year there. That was that whole debacle with the neck brace and the, and the scars <laughs> at the, the infamous at neck the, brace at the Cotton Bowl or after the Cotton Bowl, whatever that was. He ran that Cotton Bowl hat. I mean that, that was a disaster, and then it's been all it's been all bad ever since. John Smith took over. That didn't make any sense. Um, Brett Bielema, I think that didn't make sense, but he was a winning coach, and people were thought that maybe he turned him around, and, and sure enough, that didn't work out. Chad Morris, we already know how that went. And here we are with Sam Pittman, who again um, three and seven last year, uh, but surprisingly competitive despite not winning any SEC games. Here they are now, four and zero. And they just they just look they look. Like they look legit. Like I'm being honest. Like they don't look Georgia legit. They look like a, a competent football team. Like the way they played against Texas A and M, you know, you know, whenever I see Jimbo yelling at his players like the way he was, that's when I know he's 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 outmanned. He's outgunned. And he looked, he was very <laughs> flustered on that side. I've last seen time it. I saw him like that. He last time last time I saw Jimbo like that, he was he was negotiating with Texas A and M. To get out of town, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he didn't last much longer. I mean, he. I think that. I think that he was in. I think that he was surprised at how just good Arkansas was. Forget well, about I, well, coach. Think about this. Yeah, the two the two hottest names right now in college coaching are Sam Pittman and Mario Cristobal. Yeah, and both guys, offensive line coach. Mm. How rarely is it? And you follow the coaching carousel in, in college and the NFL. How rare is it for offensive line coaches to even be looked at for head coaching jobs? It's like it's like it never happens. Not, not any major, never. not any major jobs. Yeah. When Arkansas hired Sam Pittman, he was the O line coach of Georgia, which is also interesting now that he's facing Georgia. But yeah. he was the O line coach of Georgia. When I hired him, I, to be honest, I never heard of the guy. I was like, really? I mean, it, it made sense because of how bad Arkansas has been. That yeah, you, know, you probably can't get anybody to. <laughs> that was the coach there right now, but uh, it's just fascinating that you know those two guys, those two gentlemen, are offensive line coaches. And I saw one person put it this way and said, "Look, if you're, you have to be able to get that group of five guys to play extremely hard for every play, and you get none of the credit. And so, <laughs> yeah. if you're able to do that and get those guys motivated, it." That's what you'll be able to do for an entire football team, and that's what Pittman and Cristobal. I think that's what they've done even more so than anything X's and O's has been getting their teams to play extremely hard and extremely motivated every game. Yeah, and 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 takes also 
high level, uh, not to say that it's not communicate, you know, you communicate well on all facets of the ball, but I mean, especially, you know, off the line play, it's all about communication. It's all about yes. everybody being on the same page. Um, and you're coaching the most, the, the largest group of players that are playing together that's a position, you know, because yeah. if you're wide receiver, you know, wide receivers, you know, you're not playing five out, five wide outs, you know, but it's closer. You yeah. know, you got made three guys out there, sometimes four. The quarterback, you only coaching one guy. Running back, maybe at the most two. Uh, cornerbacks, you know, DB coach, you're coaching four. Um, linebackers, at the most, will be four. Most of the time, it'll be three. Defensive line, yeah. four. No, after the line, you're coaching five, a, a unit of five, and they all have to, and in some of those other positions, they're not, they're not necessarily. They don't work necessarily work together. The guy who's running a route on one side of the court field is not doesn't really matter what the guy on the other side of the field is doing per se. Yeah, it's very individual. So, yeah, yeah. So some of these positions that where you have a lot of players, it's, it's individual, you know. Um, and this is something where where you gotta have a unit work together. So it's something that you may people may need to keep a closer look at um, in regards to like who they decide to uh, to hire because they just picked up a, a big time recruit. Um, Who's an office alignment, office of guard, and they 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 beat Alabama for this kid. Um, well, no, that was that that was actually basketball. Oh, that was basketball. That was basketball. Okay, but but still, um, that was bus. the must bus. <laughs> but but nonetheless, uh, it just I just feel like there there is motivation. There is some there is something happening over in Arkansas that is. But, but yeah, I mean, and the thing about the thing about Pittman, and, and again, we talk about offensive line coaching. You talk about recruiting, like you would assume that. A guy, you would assume like guys like Pittman and Cristobal, like you think an offensive line coach, yeah, but you know, teams, got players want to play for the quarterback coach. They want to play for, you know, a guru offensive mind or whatnot. But like, Cristobal is like the best, one of the best recruiters in college football. And Sam Pittman is starting to put together nice recruiting classes at Arkansas. It's only going to get better with this with this level of of exposure. Um. This like this has like you said you talk about them them building something. Now it's the SEC, so I you know as we know I mean these things can flip on a dime and things can go bad, but like this looks like a team that'll be a serious thing, a serious competitor. The only shame about this is that they're in the West, and it feels like every yeah. time we have a new team that emerges in the SEC, they're in the West, so it doesn't matter. Right, because like, you know they're gonna stand, walk right into that tornado of yeah. That's Bama, that's Nick LSU, Saban, Auburn, yeah, Alabama. It's just, there's no way. It's just, it's hellacious. Like you yeah. know, Texas A&M built something with Kevin Sumlin, but it was like they're in the West. They can't keep this up, and Sumlin ended up losing his job. Like you know, I mean, we've seen it with we, again, we've seen it with Ole Miss multiple times, whether it be Hugh Freeze or Lane Kiffin. Now I say they're building something and getting Arch Manning would be cool, but they're in SC West. So what, what's really gonna happen? Like, when is this going to happen at Tennessee? Or when is it going to happen at, like, Kentucky where, or, or Missouri or one of these teams in the SEC East where, right. like, you do I didn't say, open. Yeah. yeah, you might be a power in, in the division now. Or you, you are, you're competing to go to SEC championships every year. And to be honest, Kendall, in the East, yeah. They would be, they'd be competing for SEC championships every year. And I was going to say, and to be honest, that clock may be ticking because, again, Georgia is starting to build what feels like an impenetrable uh, spot Boy. at that number one yeah. uh, SEC spot. You know, you know, we'll see because again, we talked about it off air before. You know, people have their runs and then they're over. So, you know, maybe Georgia has this run and maybe they'll come back to earth. But uh, it feels like to me, 
This is only my opinion. It feels like a national championship at Georgia is inevitable. Um, I'm not going to say it's this year. I'm not going to say it's going to be next year. It feels like in the next four or five years. I would be shocked if they don't win that championship. Or Alabama doesn't win. They don't win them every year. They can't win them every year. Um, yeah. I think the nature LSU of the play- is also getting to that down bad category. Yeah, LSU's <laughs> on the decline. Um, Auburn's on the decline. Georgia's recruiting is just out of this world. So far, the recruiting seems to be matching with the development. Like these guys are getting there and, and balling. They're not getting there and, and turning into nothing. The one that's what's happening to too. Rick used to recruit and well too, not- but those guys didn't develop. Like, yeah. like. It feels like the, the quarterback is the thing. It's that's, will, that's, that's the one will they get out. the quarterback things figured out? And, and they're also they, very much in the fields for Arch Manning as well. And, of course, I mean, they're a school that they have an Elite 11 guy walk in every year. But as we know in college football, a lot of times, a lot of these schools have Elite 11 guys. It doesn't always mean anything. Yeah, it's, but, it's a special level to be a great college football quarterback. And yeah, to be a it with, playoff you know, winning guy, we've yeah. seen Clemson and, their, and their, like, their problems. Yeah, and in that, that Clemson situation, I mean, there are really some questions about Again, it. is Dabo the product of having two generational level guys? And, and that question, that, that same question you asked is sometimes is a run just a, is a run there and are we at the end of it with Dabo? You know, yeah. maybe. I don't know. You know they still recruit really well, we but they... never we we Dabo would be running the ACC, be running college football actually for the next ten. People were saying, yeah, why would Dabo just stay at Clemson and make it Duke? He'd be like Coach K. Well, I mean, at what point does Dabo and Brett Venables and Tony Elliott and those, all the guys on the staff have to look around and say, eh, I may have to get out of here now so that my stock is at its highest, yeah. so I can I can maximize my 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 earning potential. So what's weird about the the Clemson situation, real quick, is just how it, the ACC is not caught up to Clemson. ACC is terrible. No, the ACC is terrible. <laughs> so but, to see them struggling this much is just like, what's going on over there? Because it's not like oh these guys are that, figuring them out. So, like they yeah, they that's think. What's, that's what's so alarming that I don't think Clemson. I don't know if they're going to win the ACC this year. Either. Like that's how bad they look. They, I mean, they might not. They already have a loss, and they already have a loss to NC State. Now, to be fair, mm-hmm. like to lose. You could if there's any conference where you could lose two games and win your conference, it's the ACC. It's the ACC. Like they still may <laughs> right. wind up. I know as a Pitt fan, they may still wind up in yeah, in the playoff in the in the yeah. conference championship with two losses. We, we've we've had teams that have lost four or five games in a season. And they were Pitt, the, the, the last weekend. The game. last weekend they were still in the mix. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But like as a Pitt fan, I mean, we play Clemson in a couple weeks. I, like. Going into going, I would have said after the after the Georgia game, I was like, "Hey, look, I mean, Clemson, they may be a beatable team this year." Then we lose to Western Michigan. Then I'm like, "Yeah, never mind, forget all that Clemson stuff." Then watching them against NC State, I now again feel like, honestly, even with the Western Michigan loss, I think we can hang with those guys. I mean, I, I, I watched. Mich- I, mean, the, I mean, the NC State game is a loss, but I mean, even the Georgia Tech game at home, I watched that game. The Georgia Tech kids. game. This team looks very beatable. They look beatable. But they don't look like a dominant team in the ACC. And that's not saying something because even after the Georgia loss where they looked inept, it was still like, well, yeah, but they're not going to face that team ever again. Like they're going to yeah. they'll run. They'll still run through the rest of the ACC schedule. Now they look like a team that's going to lose four games and they already have two. Well, I think two the problem four. for me is I think with offense, when you have offensive struggles, 
like from the jump. Like every game's gonna be close. It's, yeah, and also it's very rare you see like, oh, this offense just turning around and started lighting everybody up. Like that doesn't yeah. normally happen. Like usually you may get better, marginally better. You may you know, but like to me, usually you kind of are what you are. I think the defenses are more inclined to come back to earth than an offense yeah. because defense to me is more about scheme. And if you kind of yeah. figure out what they're doing. Sometimes you might not have a chance because they're just bigger and stronger. But they're you may be able to scheme your way out of some stuff to do. Maybe that's some wrinkles that star D or off that got people off guard. And I think that's a little bit what we've seen. I mean, their offense hasn't gotten any better. The defense has gotten – it's still good, still excellent, really. But progressively, yeah. these teams are starting to play a little better offensively against them. You know, Georgia had a lot of problems against them. And also the a lot stuff. of – But we saw also, Georgia Tech and, and uh, NC State have more success moving the ball against that Clemson defense. It's also a lot of – there's a lot of confidence – Going into these games, when you know that team ain't putting up more than points. Right, exactly. Offensively, you feel like okay, I can actually my whole playbook is available. I'm not in a situation where I know okay, after the first quarter we might be down 14-3. Right. We got to throw out throw out the running game. We just we see games <laughs> getting a, and, a, and attract me. They know okay, yeah. we can be patient. Yeah, we see games where teams. I don't remember what game I was watching this week, where the team a team was playing a style of play where it was like. Where they they like felt like we have to we have to air it out from the jump because we're going to be down. I don't. I'm trying to remember the game, but like they were they were playing a frenetic, and like they were playing the shootout mindset. And I want to say maybe with the Bears, but I, I feel it was another team where they were playing this mindset that it was going to be a shootout, and they ended up they ended up like not being able to move the ball. But like oh, that's with the Eagles. Good. It was the Eagles. Yeah, it was the Eagles. Yeah, the yeah. Eagles knew the Eagles against Dallas. Yeah, exactly. You watch the game, so you're like, yeah. the Eagles played this game where, you know, from the beginning like, they were yeah. like, "Yo, we don't score fifty, we're gonna lose." Yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts throwing it down the field like on the first three plays of the game, like clearly they felt going into the game we can't play our style of playing with because Dallas yeah. is gonna score regardless. Yeah, and I mean they were probably right because Dallas put up a lot of points, but. It took them out of the game. It, it almost it almost gave them no chance to win because they, yeah, they didn't right, even because exactly. like they, they like, couldn't they you can't because yeah because that kind of game plan is never going to be successful with Jalen Hurts is that in his development yeah so it's like you, yeah it's like you have no chance you, you would have been better off trying to, to to run the ball a little bit and trying to control yeah. the clock to some degree like they were just like yo we're gonna just try to beat them at their own game <laughs> it's like yeah. uh y'all gonna lose and that's what exactly. we saw exactly and so now. Like these teams, no, they don't have to play like that again. Yeah, they did last year. Right. They did two years ago in the last five years, really under Watson and Lawrence. Like, but now playing against playing against DJ and that and that that offense they have currently, you don't have to worry about that. So yeah. these teams are playing are... they're playing composed, and it's 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 showing up, man. So I, I, I don't think they're gonna win the ACC. I don't, whoever wins the ACC is gonna stink. I mean, North Carolina, a lot of North Carolina fans thought. We're running the conference even after the Virginia Tech loss. They're like, yeah, but we're still gonna run the Coastal. We're, we still run the conference. Then they go around and they lose to Georgia Tech, get blown out. And again, maybe Georgia Tech's not as bad as we thought, but still, like this is a terrible conference. Yeah, Georgia Tech is have this much have this has much a big game the top as teams. we're recording this. They have a big game on that thir- on Thursday. Like as bad as Miami's been, they're still one of the favorites in the, in the conference. And they haven't lost the conference games. We still they haven't lost the conference yet. Bad yeah. as Pitt has been. With a loss to Western Michigan, they also beat Tennessee. So I mean, they're still one of the teams at the top of the conference. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah, the ACC is undergoing a reckoning. That I think that they're gonna have to uh, figure out moving forward. But um, man, this is a great pod. I really, a lot of 
Yes, it, it definitely will. I think we're going to see a major overhaul soon because this is this isn't going to cut anymore. But man, what a pod! This was a great conversation, Kendall. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to New Generation Sports Talk this week. Of course, if you enjoy this pod, you can catch all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. Make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. Kendall can be found on Twitter at New Gen Ken. I can be found on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart. And you can find me also on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys again for checking us out. We'll be back with more sports talk. Not next week, probably, because I'm on vacation, but we will be back shortly after that, especially for the start of the NBA season. Um, so make sure you guys keep your eyes and ears peeled for that content both on the podcast channel and on the youtube channel for that note i'm ej uh kendall's there as well take it easy guys